If, like me, you've ever raised a quizzical eyebrow when Sifu Simon preached about his teaching of the one true, untouchable Tai Chi form, then listen on, because, if like me, you pondered on the 120 form variations that now exist and asked yourself, how can there be a single correct version? How can the form be sacrosanct if it has enjoyed a history of continual change. This month, in episode 6 of 10, the Teapot Monk investigation crew explore the contradictions and vagaries of the Tai Chi form and ask if we should not boldly go where no one has gone before. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. anyone thinks of learning Tai Chi, they generally think of the flowing, harmonious sequence of postures called the form. These are not exclusive to Tai Chi, though the emphasis, pace and attention to body synchronization is perhaps more focused. But similar forms do exist in martial arts, in the Japanese arts of Kendo, Karate, Judo and Aikido, for instance, the sequences of moves are called Kata. In the Chinese arts, they are called forms, and irrespective of the martial art you practice, you will often see many of these postures resemble those we practice in Tai Chi. However, martial artists do like to define and categorize things. They like to put things into styles and substyles and create variations and derivations. They also like to categorize all the arts into two camps, external and internal. What is meant by these is often a little vague. The truth being that most arts draw on all sources of energy and strength. Muscular and tensile, straight and circular, fast and slow, relax and tense. It's in the nature of things. Well, at least the 10,000 things that comprise the universe according to Taoist theory. However, Tai Chi is still seen as a bit different by other martial artists. Partially because it's taught as both a system of health and ideology as well as a system of self-defense but also because of its emphasis on a single form either a long or short old or new large or small frame most styles will concentrate on a single empty-handed form and unlike karate say whereby you may learn a dozen at the same time a tai chi practitioner generally focuses on just the one And it's not just the universal form either. Amongst the main half dozen styles of Tai Chi Chuan practice throughout the world, there exists over 120 different Tai Chi forms, each with their own number of moves, ranging from four to over 200. It's a complicated scenario for the new student to make sense of and one that results in a lot of beginners 
never finishing their course. This is why I and other teachers teach a variety of forms that help new students. For example, teaching beginners a simple 10-step form as separate postures and then linking them together in a flowing and harmonious way. But how far can we play with these existing structures? How far is it permissible for teachers to adapt or change a form? If we look at one of the most closely traced lineage systems, that of the Chen style, we see that even this form has changed with the times, introducing different lengths, variations, frames, and whilst the globally popular Yang style appears to have undertaken a path of consistent adaptation and evolution since its onset. How does this all happen? Well, usually it happens upon the death of a head teacher when his or her students immediately begin squabbling over how best to continue the lineage. They generally fall into two usual camps, those that wish to remain faithful to the teacher and leave everything exactly as it was, and those that recognise that their teacher failed to see some important changes needed and want to adapt the style accordingly. After many attempts to reconcile the two, they generally agree to go their own way and the style proceeds to split into smaller and smaller camps. This is a process that's gone on and goes right on up till today. And although on the surface it appears to be the result of ego and petty infighting, it is upon further consideration perhaps an inevitable consequence when a control freak dies at the head of a powerful family. Children do argue and do go their own way. To beginners, and this is something those immersed in these arguments forget, it all sounds like children arguing, which in a sense is exactly what it is. To outsiders or beginners, it appears that at best it's nonsensical or irrelevant, and at worst, a bit incestuous and off-putting. Yet we are left with a dilemma. The number of postures in a Tai Chi form, the order of postures, or even the intention behind the postures varies so much between schools, between practitioners of the same school, between students of the same teacher, that any claims of exclusivity, of application or interpretation are, as Chuangzu would say, increasingly laughable. So where does it leave the 21st century teacher? Does this mean we can all make up what we like and call it anything we want? Clearly not, though looking back at some of the divisions and manifestations that have appeared over the last century, some people clearly do think so. We do have, however, for reference what is known as the Tai Chi classics, that compilation of writings by teachers and students over the years that describes the principles we should adhere to and aspire to. However, the classics are extremely vague and suffer from ambiguity, leaving us all free to interpret what we want and how we want. For me, there is another reference that I would suggest, and that is the Tao Te Ching. Now, some of you may say, hold on, Mr. Teapot, that's not Tai Chi. And even were it so, it's equally as vague as the classics. And I'd agree to some extent. But it has a longer history of interpretation, especially into English, such as the versions by Ursula Le Guin or Ron Hogan, two I'd specifically recommend. So I would go there for my references and take that as my source material. Some of you no doubt would disagree and that's as it should be. 
My advice to all students and teachers alike, go forth and create. But bear in mind a couple of additional factors of my own. One, remember Lenin's prophecy that the death throes of the old should become the birth pangs of the new. Consider this when reordering your postures and selecting what goes where. Two, the classics talk a lot about ups and downs and ins and outs and troughs and crests, but remember too the left and right. Adopt an ambidextrous approach. Balance your limbs, your directions and your starting point and ending paths and you'll be on the right track. Three, kiss. No, not each other, though that may be more helpful than the insults that often fly by. No, by kiss I mean keep it simple and stupid. Start easy. Gradually increase the challenge with each posture. For example, don't start with snake creeps through the grass or even single whip. Start with something easy like play guitar or white crane spreads its wings. Four. Remember that the Tai Chi form is not the final frontier. Your mission is to explore strange new configurations, to seek out new patterns and compositions, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Good luck, Captain. For more on the history of the Tai Chi form, look out for the new book due out next month by me, Paul Reed. Thanks for listening. This was episode six in the series of ten by me, Paul Reed, the Teapot Monk. See you on the 10th.